Toyota. This is Rock and Roll Radio. Come on, let's rock and roll with the Ramones. Hi, I'm Johnny Ramone of the Ramones. This year, America is celebrating a special anniversary, the 75th anniversary of the United States Army Reserve. You know, when you think about it, it's hard to believe that the Army Reserve is just 75 years old because the tradition of the citizen soldiers been around as long as America has. But it took us until 1908 to come around to actually setting up an Army Reserve force. Today, 75 years later, it's nearly one million strong. America's strength in reserve. So join me and the Ramones in wishing a happy 75th to all the dedicated men and women who serve their country in the Army Reserve. you're listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show on CITR FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there our good bunny, Johnny Ramon, celebrating the Army Reserve 75th anniversary, a public service announcement. Today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with a guy who recorded a record that was very similar, Dick Dale, the enlistment twist. Surf legend Dick Dale, today on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. And this interview is actually from July 9th, 1993. And it's in honor of Dick Dale and best wishes to Dick Dale because he's still out there playing gigs to help pay his medical bills for his cancer treatment. He needs like three thousand dollars a month just for the medicine and that doesn't even include the insurance the only way to get that is for him to go out there and play gigs and he's been knocking him dead for lack of a better word doing these gigs so all the best to dick dale so this show is dedicated to dick dale an interview with dick dale from july 9th 1993 on the nardwar to human serviette radio show and to prepare you for dick dale here's something by Dick Dale from his 1993 LP on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, and in an interview with Dick Dale.
Are you? <laughs> Let me. Oh God, it's so much easier for somebody else to say who are I and then me to say who are I without blowing the horns. Um, but you're Dick Dale. Yeah. First off, Dick Dale, 9 a.m. This is pretty early in the morning. 9 a.m. Are you kidding? I was up with this. We get up. We're in the high desert. We're 2,000 feet up, and when the sun gets up, it gets up about 5, 5:30. And it's the most beautiful glowing sun, and I can see for 150 miles in every direction. We have a private airport up here, so there's about 81 acres, and we've got two strips that are about 2,800 feet long. And the chores are you get up in the morning at, with the sunrise, and you go and you feed the, uh, the horses, and uh, we have a, a, an Arabian horse and also a beautiful black Mustang, a Castilian barb Mustang from the government, from, you know, like Cochise used to ride, the, the original Mustangs of the deserts and the prairies, and we use them to ride up into the big uh, sand dunes and gold mines and all the mountains out here. And so you feed the animals in the morning, and then the dogs, and then the parrots, and then little Jimmy, my son, he's 17 months old now. He's, he was at my first concert when he was uh, 10 days old, and he bangs on my door with his drumsticks, and he wants to climb up in this big massive set of drums and plug in my guitars and amplifiers. So, and this happens at about, oh, around about 5.30 in the morning. So I've got to give him his little soy milk. And uh, and it's uh, we don't feed dairy products or anything like that. It's, it's a soy drink. And so he's real healthy. And he gets out there with me and feeds the horses and rides in the golf cart. And we do all these chores first. Because at 9 a.m., like, I mean, not many rock and rollers, you know, seem to get up that early. Well, I'm not what, the, what you would call a dedicated... Uh, I've not lived the life in the life of the world of what you would say musicians or uh, you know rock and roller type of thing. I've always been like uh, kind of an outsider looking in. I, uh, music is, was a facet of my life, and I learned to, to love all different styles of music. In fact, my my big hero, like Guitar Player Magazine, would say, "Well, who was your your influence?" And I'd say Hank Williams, and 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 country was my first love, along with uh, the big band era, you know, like. Uh, I used to listen to Harry James records, and so my first instrument was drums, listening to Gene Krupa. And so when I play my guitar, I play it with a real uh, percussive sound, like uh, Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac would once said to me, he said, Dick Dale, he says, you're the most percussive guitarist I've ever seen in my life. And it's only because I, look, I play everything I play, whether it's piano, whether I'm playing classical, rock, or uh, anything, I play it with a such a uh, fervor of... Uh, percussiveness and and now like right now my drummer uh, super dave like from playing stock drums to showing him 
the manic style of attack, you know, to make the people feel what you're doing. Um, I can't, you know, people, most people, when they're watching people play, uh, some people like to just sit there and do like what we call a sit-down job, and, and country players are used to do that all the time until you get guys, you know, like the big guys are happening today. Now they're jumping all over the stage. But that's what you've got to do to let the people see that you're putting your heart and soul in what you're playing. And that way they feel the same way. So my world of being in the world of music was really, as I was saying, like one facet because my other part when I got through playing, I, I just went home. I never hung around. I just went straight on home and took my surfboard out and went surfing in the morning and surfed from sunup to sundown. And I trained my lions and tigers. I, I used to have about 30 to 40 different uh, exotic animals uh, along with domestics. So my life was lived with my lions and tigers and jaguars and, and, and uh, surfing all day long. And then I spent 30 years in the martial arts in the world of karate, as you would know it. And uh, that gives me my, my focusing and my power and along with uh, living on the edge of, you know, I fly planes because we have an airport here. If those of you that are pilots, if you get a, um, a sectional, what we call a sectional, and so you can get them from any airports, uh, uh, flight stations, FBO offices, and, and you can get a California sectional for Southern California, look under uh, 29 Palms, the city of 29 Palms. It's only 10,000 people. But it's in the middle of the largest marine base in the world. It's over 1,000 square miles. And it's incredible. And you'll see a circle with an R in it. And then right above it says Dickdale uh, Sky Ranch. And it'll give you the altitude, 1793, above sea level. And it'll also give you a number 28. And you always add two zeros, and that means 2,800 feet. So w when we get through performing, we, we come up to the high desert. Of course, I used to live at the beach all my life. But I left the beach because of the pollution and everything like that. And then just, just the population just became un unbearing. Up here, we have only 10,000 people. We never lock our house. We never lock the ranch. Uh, the next door neighbor has 100 acres. And everybody just does things uh, for you without ever expecting things in return. And so it's like the town of Mayberry, if you've ever seen Andy Griffith, <laughs> the Mayberry show. Do survivalists live up there near your Sky Ranch? Pardon? Are there any survivalists that live up there? Well, you know, what's up here are... Um, because I'd heard, like, up on the desert there, there were a lot of survivalists, you know, the ones that were preparing for nuclear war and stuff, uh, keeping lots of cans of tomato soup and stuff. Well, you know, I'm sure there's something going on like that. Uh, the, the people that are up here are people who left the population area 20, 30 years ago and said the hell with it and, and never looked back. And, you know, when I go back down below, we call it going down below, like Palm Springs is, is an hour from us, but it's down the hill. We call it going down below. And Palm Springs is the low desert, and it's ungodly hot. And, uh, and now they've really ruined it for themselves. For instance, like they've got 300 golf courses, and each one pumps a million gallons of water every day, recycle the water. And so when you get 300 million gallons of water moving through the air every day, you create your own hot box. And, 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 and the smog and everything has been so bad, it just moved all the way straight out to down there. So we're so lucky where we are, because we're in the high desert. We, we go up, you know, you gotta go up a mountain 3,000 feet, and then we drop into 2,000 feet, and then we have what they call Joshua National Monument, and people come from all over the world. I mean, all the guys are, Robert Plant, uh, you know, you two, uh, uh, all the guys from, jeez, uh, uh, the Ramones come out. Everyone comes on out that, that, that are people in, in the business to get their head clear. 
uh, old Jimmy Cagney. I can look out my window and see Jimmy Cagney's old boarded-up home on the hill. And it is it. If you stand out on the on we, if you stand out on my runways and just look out at the mountains all around us, and you don't speak, you will hear nothing. I'm sure it's like that up in the wilds of Canada. Like you hear, you, if the wind isn't blowing, you can hear the blood going through your vessels, or you can hear your ears ringing. And and, and it scares some many people uh, because they're in a vacuum. They think they're in a vacuum, but once they get used to it, they go, "Oh my God, I've never seen such silence." And you know, silence, what they say, is golden. So I don't even like to turn a radio on out here because I feel like I'm, I'm virginistic. I'm pouring ink on virgin air. So it's it's wonderful. People we visit us all the time from all over the world, from Japan and Italy and England and France, and they go, "My God, we can't believe what the air is like here." And the air is so nice and dry. Dick Dale, have you ever been to Vancouver, B.C.? No, I haven't. You know, and I'm really, really looking forward to it because the phone here at the ranch has been. Um, I've always been one in contact. Like your other question, you know, about I'd never associated with with the, in the world of, of musicians because I, I felt that we really didn't have the same thing in common as far as uh, the things that I like to do and what happens when people usually get through playing, they go to parties and they're drinking or whatever. And my whole life, I thank my parents because they've never drank, you know, and, we, and I, I never got into drugs. So my body never, I won't, wouldn't allow that. And, and, and I don't eat meat never either. So I'm kind of a, uh, a health nut in one way. And every once in a while I go off the deep end and eat uh, a pizza or something like that. But uh, I've always stayed away from this, this, this rushing madness world of, of the uh, professional people. And uh, they've just always found me and said, would you come and play? And then I go and play, and then I go and leave. So what I like to do is I like to meet the people. And when I perform, I, I never do encores because I'd rather just, instead of going to my dressing room, uh, I'd rather just sit down on the stage and at the end of the stage and just start talking to the people. Because I know, you know, if I spent money to come and see somebody and, and you wonder what they're like, it's kind of neat to uh, say hi and, and uh, ask them questions, et cetera, and, and get things signed. So I usually do that, and I spend a couple of hours doing that after the show. So I'm really thrilled because I was talking to so many uh, DJs, people uh, from the, the college charts. You know, I, I was never even aware of what they call a CMJ uh, chart and things like that. And this is the first time that I call it the people have taken my CD and just made it a monster. It's a... Uh, I was created by the people in the first place in the 50s. Uh, people want to know when surf music was created. It wasn't in the 60s like people read in books. I created the surfing sound in 1956, and, uh, and I started uh, experimenting the Stratocaster guitar with Leo Fender in 55, and, and created the Dick Dale Showman uh, amplifier. That's the first power amps that were ever to be because Leo was making amplifiers for just country people with 10-inch speakers in them, Jensen speakers. And uh, people like Chuck Berry was playing through a 12-inch speaker, and that was it. There was no such thing as a power amp. And, and I used big gauge strings at that time, too, which I still do. 60-gauge strings were your actual you know, strings that kids using guitars or players use, or slinkies like 7s and 9s and 10s. And my, my thinnest string is a 14, and my heaviest is a 60. So it's like playing on bridge cables, as one critic says. Did you actually, like you said you actually surfed. How many of the actual surf groups or the groups in California early 60s surfed? Like, I, I think I know the Challengers surfed, but a lot of them didn't, did they? No, that's, uh, very many did not, no. Uh, 
And uh, what, what a lot of books say is, you know, there was all these groups playing at one particular time. Well, actually, the surfing music was being played to 4,000 people a night by Dick Dale and in, the, in the middle 50s, and 56, and 57, and 58. Now, for those couple of years when surfing music was really being discovered by the people, and that's what they called it because we were all surfing, and then they called me, they named my songs. They called me King of the Surf Guitar because I was the only one because there were no amplifiers on the market. And that was like in 1962 you were called the King of the Surf Guitar. Yeah, I was called the King of the Surf Guitar in 1957. 19, so we, even before we even hit, that must be quite a burden to keep up right from the beginning being called well, King I've of the always, Surf Guitar. Well, see, the thing lies is that we were playing, we started off with 17 servers coming to this ballroom called the, the Rendezvous Ballroom in Balboa. And Stan Kenton, it was the jazzer in 1956, in 55 and 56, and they tried to bring jazz back again, and it failed, and they lost about $80,000, so they closed the ballroom. And then I came into Balboa in 1956, and then I heard a kid playing on a piano, and I, I, you know, I had gone to Leo Fender and spoke to him, and he became like a father to me because we were experimenting uh, the amp amplifiers, the, the Stratocaster guitar, because they were just finishing up with the Telecaster guitar. And he had brought in a fellow from Hawaii called Freddie Tavares, who played the Hawaiian steel for Harry Owens. And, Harry, and he said that he would gladly work for Leo if he could record when he wanted to. And so he became Leo's right-hand man to to take all of, to make the perfections in the Telecaster guitar. Then henceforth, the Stratocaster was being born. And then he gave me the Stratocaster, and I went into this ice cream parlor down there, and it was called the Rinky Dink Ice Cream Parlor, and told the guy, look, you know, can I play in your coffee house? And I played there for like seven bucks for the three of us, and then I asked for a raise for about 10 and 12, and then when I wanted 15, I wanted to bring in a drummer, he fired me. So we, my dad went and spoke to the owners of this big ballroom. So they, they closed the ballroom, and they said, okay, well, if you want to try it, go ahead, but I don't think you can get any permits. Now, at that time in California in the 50s, in 56 and 57, the city was not issuing permits for teenage dancing because anybody who played a guitar was considered evil. So I had to have meetings at night with the, the chief of police and parent teachers and all this foundations in, in the school, scholastic system at nighttime. They didn't want anybody to know who, who they were talking to. And, and we told them, we convinced them they needed a place to have their kids so that they weren't on the street at night. So they said, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to have them, they got to wear ties. So I, Jesus, did you ever hear of a kid, a surfer wearing a tie? So I got a box of ties and I would give them out of the door and all the surfers came in and danced on their bare feet and with ties. Now, this is still in the 50s. And now we've got 4,000 people a night because we got the first permits for teenage dancing. So all the books that you read are wrong about the actual dates who was playing when? There's one book by Bob Daly that I even told him to his face this last concert last week, and I just said, hey, pal, you know, you're, you're robbing the kids because they're spending 30 bucks for a book that all your dates are wrong. I mean, you're saying all these bands were playing at a certain time, and they, and they weren't because what were they playing through? It was a pretty nice book, though. I've seen that book. Well, it, it's, it, it is wrong data. And that's all there is to it. And, and if you look on the cover to prove a point, you will see uh, amplifiers on there that have nothing to do with surf music. And you will see instruments on that cover that have nothing to do with surf music. And I cannot stand, even with, uh, with uh, Rhino Records, I've always been in a strutter for perfection and truth. And I won't bullshit somebody. I'll just tell them the way it is. 
And when Rhino Records wanted to put out the legends of guitar, you know, of surf music, and they and I said, well, what kind of a guitar are you going to put on there? They go, well, I don't know. We're just going to put a, you know, a Gibson on there. I goes, why are you going to put a Gibson on there? That has nothing to do with surf music. You know that kids are going to buy that CD and they're going to go out and buy, you know, a hollow body guitar thinking they're going to get a surf sound, a power sound? And you can't, you can't mislead people. And the only reason why they were going to do that was to save money because they had already taken pictures of these guitars. So they didn't have a Strat. So I just said, well, I'll tell you what, you want me to be on that, and I don't want to be on that. So I'm not going to be on that unless you get the truth on that. And that's it. So then they called me up four days later, and they said, well, Dick, we're going to have your guitar on there because, I mean, you're right. You know, if you're going to talk about surfing music, you better have the surfing you know, the equipment. Now, in Bob Daly's book, kids that see the cover of that book are going to go out and buy that kind of stuff and think they're going to get a surfing sound, and they're not. What exactly do you need to get a surfing okay, sound? Okay, you don't need what you, what's on his cover. In other words, those are Jaguars, those are Jaguars, Jazzmasters, and we designed, Leo and I designed those guitars for a specific reason, and that was for jazz players and for players who couldn't afford a Stratocaster. And the jazz player, it, it's a different fret, it's a different string layout, I mean, it's a different height, and you just can't get, it's a muted sound. So what you need is what we ended up with, like Leo said, his life story is coming out in the book, and it's, these are the quotes that are in it. Leo said, uh, if a, when it can withstand Dick Dale's onslaught and barrage, it is ready for the human consumption. Now, he's talking about, we, I needed a fat sound, and we could not get it from a 10-inch speaker. And, and I was experimenting on the Stratocaster guitar, which we changed a lot of things on it from the beginning such as we made the wood a, a, a thickness because the thicker the wood, the more powerful of the sound, the thicker the sound. Like, if you could put, Freddie Traverse told me, he said, Dick, if you could put strings and a pickup on a telephone pole, you would have the most purest sound in the world because the thicker the wood, the more pure and punchy of the sound. So we made a precision bass and a, and a Fender Stratocaster guitar with a thick body of wood and we actually grooved it out on the top so that you could hold it against your stomach easier and it wouldn't be that heavy. That gave us the thick sound. Then we had a thick neck. My neck was a quarter of an inch in width smaller. And for my, for my own personal reasons, which I use today, which is the new Dick Dale Signature Stratocaster, we also put uh, a five position switch on there because I was also, we had a three position and I was always putting the switch on the cam to tie up different, uh, connect different, uh, um, uh, pickups. We also uh, reversed the pickup to give it a bigger bite. Um, all of these things finally, henceforth, had the fine tuning of the Stratocaster guitar. Now, we're trying to get a big sound, and when we got 500 kids in there, it sounded okay. But we did not mic our amplifiers. We weren't doing that in those days. All we did was have one microphone on the stage to sing through. So when I kept telling Leo, Leo, when the people come in, it's sucking up the sound. So finally, when we had 4,000 people in there a night, he would stand in the middle of that crowd because this man was a genius and he spent all night and day. He never rested trying to make the best. And he says, now I know what Dick Dale's trying to tell me. He told Freddie Tavares, they were both standing in the stage. He says, because every time we, we tried it out in the factory, no matter how loud we played it, we would take it back into the ballroom, and it, which is not the same. 
So then what was happening was I kept blowing out speakers and they would catch on fire and blowing up amplifiers. The speakers would come out through the cone. The cone would freeze on an outward push. All of these things were happening because the amp was too, became too powerful and the speak, speaker became too weak. So what we ended up doing was we spoke to, went to the factory of Lansing and spoke with Lansing and said, we need a speaker that will take a 100-watt amplifier that picks 180 watts with tubes, with big power tubes. And he, de he designed an output transformer, which they call the Dickdale Transformer now, because it, it favors the highs, mids, and the lows. And when all amplifiers were built, they only favored either the lows or the mids or the highs, never together. And he's the one who designed this, and he died with this secret. He took it to the grave with him, because when he sold to CBS, he took that secret with him, and he gave me the last of his output transformers. Now, the speaker was built up all the way from a 10-inch speaker. We, we got it up into a 15-inch, and it was called a 15-inch Lansing D-130F, F meaning fender. That speaker was rubber-coated on the ridges with bigger, thicker uh, coil, uh, connector co for the, to the coil, and the magnet was bigger, the windings were bigger, and uh, the material was stronger. And, and to this day, to this day, I play those things. I play the Dickdale Showman amplifier. Everything that I'm playing to this day in those speakers are the ones that Leo finally put on the market. Is that the exact same stuff you had in exact. the early 60s? Exact. I mean, these, this is the, the finished product that, that I've been playing through, and, it, and it's still playing. Now, um, are any of your reverb units or amps hot-rodded? Okay. My rev now, here's another thing that Bob Daly said that's wrong. That's wrong. Well, first of all, he said the bands were playing the same time Dick Dill was playing. They weren't. They weren't, because what were they playing through? The amplifiers weren't even on the market yet, you see? I was experimenting those amplifiers for a year and a half before they were ever put on the market. So where does he get off saying the bands were playing the same time Dick Dale was playing, see, when it started? That's not true. See, his dates are wrong. Now, here's how he made that mistake. He went and he found records that were released, and he was going by release days. Now, Bob Daly is not the only one that's doing, making these mistakes. It's everybody, every other historian that is, that is, you know, in his 30s or 20s, and, 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 and they're writing about the history. They don't know, they didn't know where to find Dick Dale, because I'm up away in the mountaintops. So they go and they find when records were released, that doesn't mean the record has, was not being performed in front of people. Let's Go Trippin' was being played in 1956. Have you ever heard the Trashman's version of Let's Go Trippin' at all? No, no. But I know who they, you know, I know who they are. But what I'm saying is now, Bob Daly also stated, the surfing sound is is the reverb sound. It's not. The surfing sound was was titled the surfing sound in 1956 and 57 and 58. The amps were not even on the market then. Now the reverb wasn't even born then. But Dick Dale's record, Surfer's Choice, with me surfing on the cover at San Clemente, and the picture was taken by John Severson, was sold 80,000 albums in Southern California alone. And you know what? There was no reverb. So uh, how about nowadays or any of your reverb? Are they, is, it still, is it any of it hot-rodded, okay. nothing? The, see, you're being told the real stuff now, the real thing. The, the reverb, the reason, the, the reverb was not 
even invented then. We didn't invent that. We, the reason why we invented the reverb, so that you'll know, and the people will understand, was because of when I sang, I did not have a natural vibrato. So, and I was embarrassed because it, I just, when I sang over the radio, it sounded terrible. So I said to Leo, I says, Leo, what can I do? I don't want an echo sound. They already had, they had a, a duplicating, they had an echo machine. I said, I don't want echo. What can I use to make my voice just go, uh, you know, make it sound like an angel, make it, make it a continuous thing, you know what I'm saying? Like a, just a sustaining note. And we just kept on thinking and thinking and thinking, what could we do to make my voice be sustaining? And then we started saying, well, wait a minute, the, the Hammond organ has a, a reverb in it. And, the, you know, the, uh, there was two organ companies. And what we did was we took, we, st we actually stole, we stole the reverb out of a Hammond organ. You know, we stole the, 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 uh, somebody's idea. And we took the spring unit out of a Hammond organ and we put it in a separate box. And then I plugged my microphone into it and I was able to sustain my voice. And I said, wow, that's really neat. I wonder what it would be like to sustain a guitar note. And then, henceforth, Dick Dale added reverb to his, his performance. Do you use vintage drums at all? Okay, what I use... Uh, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Sure. Help. Dick Dale? On call alert. Phoning live from... I'm back, thank you. Phoning live from the Dick Dale Sky Ranch. We're speaking here to Dick Dale. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to talk to you all. I can't wait to get up there and see everybody. You asked me a question about uh, on drums. My drumming style, I studied with listening to uh, uh, Gene Cooper. Actually, I was specifically wondering about the actual, um, your drummer in your band nowadays. Yes. D does he use vintage drums? No, he, well, his drums are pretty old, but what we, what we do use is in different places is like I was using uh, 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 the guitar when we, in our big concert in Frisco. Um, guitar play, uh, guitar center allowed me to take uh, Lars Ulrich, the, uh, the, uh, his complete signature drum set. And this is funny, this is a cute story. It's all white, I mean this thing is monstrous and it's got black big hardware and it's made by Tama. So they said, okay Dick, but you know Dick, you gotta put a down payment, you know. Uh, in case something, you know, somebody hits you in the car or something while you're going from here to there, because these are brand new, you know. And I said, and there's a double kick set. And I said, okay, all right, I'll do that. I says, here's my card, my charge card. And I goes, well, you know, uh, they call me back and they go, Dick, uh, your, your card would only take $2,400. And I says, well, I know. I says, I got it all filled up with my, my, my uh, taxes. <laughs> my, I had to pay my taxes. And I said, I got $2,400, but $2,400, I mean, isn't that enough for a down payment? You know, I'm only keeping it for the night. And they says, oh, no, we need $4,600. I goes, $4,600 for a down payment? I goes, how much are the drums? He goes, $10,000. <laughs> they were $10,000. I'm sitting there going, you're kidding. So the manager came up, and he goes, Dick Dale, that's okay. You take the drums and, and have a good night. So I was on the stage with Metallica's drums, and I'm telling the people, I'm going, here we go, Dick Dale's. You know, uh, Dick Dale's endorsing Metallica, you know, and the audience went wild. So it was, I, we use... Um, Why not like a vintage, say, Ludwig set? I sort of, I think the sounds of those really sound a lot better. They really do. They do have a good sound. Uh, but the Tama, 
the Tama. I mean, you're, you're using Star Kit. Listen, the Tama Star Kit is based on a copy of that old grits of that old Ludwig sound, and it's and that's why they have a very deep, deep sound, and that's why I like them. But we also uh, play through Ludwig's too. And we just have a, I like that, that, that old vintage. I have an old set of Rogers, the original set of Rogers. And the only problem lies, it's not a 24-inch uh, bass uh, kick. I like a, I like a large uh, a bass. Um, one of my drummers used to use a 26-inch. He had to have a custom made. So I do like the big drum sound. So do you think you sound the same now as you do back then in the 60s, Dickdale, like with all the instruments all together, like the bass sound and the drum sound? I know the guitar sound is the same, but how about like the drum sound and bass sound? How does that relate to okay. what you're doing back then? My sound is the same. My sound is exactly the same as it was when I started, only it is more pronounced. It is more focused because studying, when, you, when I perform, uh, getting the strength from studying the martial arts for 30 years, I've learned to focus my innards when I play, and I use that power and strength on that stage. Now, anybody who plays for me, the reason why my sound has never changed is because I u my, use the same equipment. Every the bass player has to play my bass, the precision bass that we designed for rock and roll. You ask me, what does it take to get a surf sound? Well, let's call it a power sound. For instance, Guitar Player Magazine made a statement. They said, take the surf title away from Dick Dale and you have the father of heavy metal. And I said, well, why did you say that? And they said, well, Dick, what is metal? It's power. And you're the first power player to ever come on the scene with the power amps. What about Link Ray? Well, what about him? He was pretty powerful with rumble. No, that's not power. That was playing. There's a difference between playing. He was playing through 12-inch speakers. There's a difference between volume. Link Ray did not have power amps. You see? There's a difference in, 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 in wattage. Now, we're not talking about styling of play. Now, Link Ray's my favorite. That's why I play his songs. And I did a dedication to him. Yeah, your new record, you do Rumble. Right, right, and, and it's because I love those. It's just like what, uh, like Eddie Cochran. I was coaching Eddie Cochran, and, and, and well, I, God, there's a million people. Uh, Hendrix, I, I found Jimmy when he was playing bass for Little Richard in, in a nightclub in Pasadena, and he wasn't Jimi Hendrix. He'd come to my dances all the time and stand there and watch me and say, God, what are you doing? What are you playing? The Beach Boys used to come to my, I used to give the Beach Boys $50 to open for me after the amplifiers were on the market. And I, when I was teaching Jimmy, Jimmy would come to my music store. I had a, not a music store, but it was a record shop, and I only kept it open about two hours because I went surfing the rest of the time. But uh, Jimmy would, you know, I'm left-handed, and Jimmy's left-handed, but I play upside down backwards. And so when Leo gave me the Stratocaster, he gave me a right-handed Stratocaster, and I flipped it upside down, and I played it upside down. And my neck is still upside down, and my strings are, my big strings, E strings are on the bottom. And because I learned on the ukulele, and I didn't know that I was supposed to put my fingers in a different direction or hold it differently, because the guitar is designed for a right-handed person, because you can't play augmented ninths and thirteenths and things like that on it, uh, playing it the way I play it. So when I was teaching Jimmy, he uh, found it difficult to to play the way that I was holding it, the way that I was holding it. So Leo and I, we made a left-handed neck for him. And he tuned it as a left-handed player.
So he played left-handed, a true left-handed. Did he go on to later denounce surf music, Jimi Hendrix? No, no there, there was, uh, when he made the statement, he said, you will never hear surf music again, it is dead. Now, what he meant by that was, I had never meant, I, he also said, I patterned my style after Dick Dale, quote unquote, which was very nice of him to say, just like Stevie Ray Vaughan said his first records he played was Dick Dale. Uh, Ted Nugent said his first records uh, were Dick Dale. Uh, Dick jo- Dale and Jonathan Richmond, too. And Jonathan, he's a, he's a wonderful person. Mick Fleetwood, uh, we were just uh, given the Lifetime Achievement Award by UC Berkeley for pop culture. Mick Fleetwood, Ice-T, John Lee Hooker, and Dick Dale. And, 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 and Mick Fleetwood said, I patterned my style after, I played my first drums for Dick Dale. Um, uh, the Who, uh, Keith Moon, said uh, he had Ringo and John Lennon on his record. He came up to me and wanted me to do the guitar work on his last album, which I did. So, oh, but I never, you know, I never hung around in the circle because I was always, like, doing something else. But the sound, what you got to understand is, what the difference between a power sound and playing two different things and my power sound was the only i was the only person that had the power amp period this they the, the uh showman amplifier with a 15-inch speaker so that's what guitar player means by power and when i was teaching people like jimmy Hend- uh, like uh, cochran cochran was using was using a very thin amplifier going down dun, dun, down 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 and it was a real thin sound but we didn't have, we hadn't designed, finished with the designing of the Showman Amplifier to give it that sound. Let me get rid of this phone. Hold on. Hello? Speaking live to Dick Dale from the Dick Dale Sky Ranch in California, USA. Dick Dale from the fabulous Sky Ranch in Los Angeles, California. Or okay. Somewhere that, in there. That was Denver calling. That's kind of neat. But the thing is, this is what I love about what's happening with the CD, that everybody is, that discovered me in the beginning, I was a product of the people. And we, we, I never had the machine, you know, that big, that big uh, professional uh, PR firms and everything else like that. I never had that kind of stuff. The people got behind me, bought my records, for, you know, from our little company, and then they were the ones who pushed me. Now, I didn't choose to go all over the world, and that's the reason why I didn't become like the Beach Boys or Elvis, because I would have had to leave all my lines and tigers and my surfing, and I didn't want to do that. Music was only a facet, so I just stayed home. But now, all of these years later, well, and, and to answer your other question, everyone who plays for me must play through my original equipment. And that's the reason why my sound never changes. It's as big as it's ever been. So the drums, what you play through those Rogers drums then? Well, what I'm using now is I'm using a set of, I think he's, what we've got, until we can get this custom thunder kit made, we're trying to get a thunder kit made to my specifications. Until I can get that thunder kit made, uh, then we're using, I think, I, uh, what has he got right now? Well, I'm using Thomas because they've got the deepest sound so far. But... Uh, but right now, John, like John Bonhams, he's got a, a fiberglass set, and uh, we're using a big fiberglass set right now, which is which gives me a great sound too. Have you ever heard of Jim Messina and the Jesters? Messina, yeah, Jim Messina, yeah, uh, Loggins and Messina. For me, yeah, he was he had earlier. Sure, yeah. I mean, he, he's dedicated a lot of concerts to me. He had an early surf band called the Jesters. Did you ever yeah, heard of that? Yeah, yeah, of course. 
But I, I never hung around with them personally, you know what I'm saying? They all knew who I was because I started all this stuff. But I never hung around with the people in the business. How about the Crossfires? Did you like them at all? Yeah, yes. Like, I, was, I, was, I was wondering, who else do you think has done justice to the surf sound that you, Dick Dale, created? Like, I would think Jim Messina Jesters, when they started out, they were, like, great in the Crossfires. Um, how about, like, 1990s bands? Or who do you think has done justice to your tunes? Well, you know, it, it, you know I've, my wife, Jill, really knows, um, and I have to apologize to you because I am not, I, I don't know, the people I've, I've led what you call a secluded life um, she knows like she's 26 I'm 56 she knows all of the things all the bands all the people and and she she starts naming all these bands that are doing Dick Dale riffs uh, and, and, and it's really neat and it's all the way up to the bands of today because there's a band from San Francisco California called the Phantom Surfers yes yes did you, they gave them they gave their record to you they said yes have you had a chance to hear that at all yes and I like them very, very much. And I also like, uh, and they've opened for me down here. Uh, the Untamed um, Youth? A Agent Orange. Agent Orange. You, have you heard of Agent Orange? Yeah, they've been around a little while. I think the Phantom Surfers are a bit more pure sound, though, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. How about the Untamed Youth? Yes, that's, yes. Now I've, you're saying names that I know of. Well, I've been, you're saying names that have been in my presence in, the, in, the, in this recent uh, concert bash that I've been doing up in Frisco. Have you seen Brian Wilson lately at all? Yes, well, not lately, but the last thing I did was Brian came to my last concert and got on stage and and, uh, and jammed with me because he wanted to do that. And uh, Brian and I did a concert, did a recording for uh, Paul Schaefer for his last album. It was uh, Joe Walsh, uh, Brian Wilson, uh, Mick, uh, Mick Fleetwood, and myself. And uh, so we did that con uh, recording on his album. Do you still do vocal numbers, Dick Dale? Uh, you know, I, I don't. I do and I don't. Because um, on your Rock Out Live at Ciro's right. record, you do Blown in the Wind and Don't Stop Now. Yeah, okay, I love... Pretty uh, crazy versions, too. Right, and, and then The House of the Rising Sun. Uh, I like... I've, I've, see, I used to sing all different styles. And then I worked Las Vegas. I had a 17-piece band, and I would do a big band thing. And I worked Vegas, Reno, and Tahoe for like 12 years. But when I came back out here, and I came to the high desert, and then my wife said, Dick, you know, she's a big Ramones fan, you know, Keith Richards fan, you know, she just loves the Stones. And she, she's really what's, she knows what's going on in the big rock scene. But I don't. I don't watch it, and I don't listen to it, and I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and lie to you. and you know, I'm just going to tell you that I'm a person who I'd rather go out and dig ditches and, you know, and build things with my hands, and then I go out. But when I get on stage, I, I play my 150% of my heart. I don't, I, whatever I do, I do it 150%. I don't do it 100%. My dad used to say, Jesus, what are you doing it like that for? You're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill yourself. And anybody who works for me says, Dick Dale's a really a madman to work for. Why? Because he pushes them so hard. Well, I don't push anybody harder than I push myself. And if, if I'm twice their age and I can still push like I do to the audience, then they can too. And, and that's just the way I do things. So if the audience pushes you, do you do vocal numbers? If they, yes, if they push me to that, I do. But what's, what's happened lately, which, which in the last, say, three years, what's happened is that the critics have said, 
Like when I used to come in with my big band and I was doing all those vocal numbers and everything, they'd say, oh, Dick Dale's in town with this big Reno Las Vegas review, you know. And uh, instead of saying, God, he can play sax, he can play trumpet, he can play drums, he can play piano, he can play harmonica, he can play anything, and yet do it great and well, whatever. Instead of saying that, they wanted, it, they wanted me to just to jam on the guitar. And these are the rock critics, the heavy, heavy guys in L.A. And, in fact, it was the heavy, heavy guys that just gave me a three-and-a-half-star rating for the CD. Now, because I followed their constructive criticism, and Jill's, my wife, she said, Honey, you know, they're right, you know. You love to try to please everybody, but you can't please everybody and, and really focus in on one thing. So what I did was I, I left the Vegas Reno Review type thing. I got rid of the full band like that, and I went raw power, drummer, bass, and myself. And then I took my Showman amplifiers, and I put one on one side of the stage with a twin 15-inch cabinet, and I took my other Showman amplifier, put it on the other side of the stage with my twin 15 cabinet, then I took another Showman amplifier and put it up with a 15 cabinet for my bass player, and put one on the other side, in other words, everything is dual, coming off the stage, and the power sounds so phenomenal, and I have to play so much more, that it sounds like 10 guitars playing, like, you heard the CD, right? Yep. Okay, that is just me, my drummer, and my guitar. Uh, my drummer and, and bass player, and myself. That is not overdubbing guitars. I'm not overdubbing basses. I'm not overdubbing anything. That's just me playing one time, one time through and raw. A lot of your material has come out on weird compilations from Europe, Europe and whatnot. How much right? Oh, the bootleggers. The bootleggers. Yeah. How much control do you have over the early rights of your material? Because I was no. There's two songs that seem to be always repackaged of yours on early material, like the songs "We'll Never Hear the End of It" right. and "Fairest of Them All." Right. And it seems totally bizarre because these two songs you did, you must have lost the rights or whatever, and they're repackaged like on Cupid Records, on Saturn that Records. You're on right. records and on concert room, the same two songs over and over again. And even the weird thing about the songs is they sometimes redub Hot Rod like sounds of cars driving by over top to make them even different than just two basic songs. Well, you know what? I'm telling you, it is. That's why I got out of the business. That's why I stopped recording. Because even if you control it, they. you know what they're doing now? They're taking pictures out of magazines blowing them up and making their albums over in Germany and in, in Italy and in France and they're grabbing, they're making tapes by records and they're grabbing stuff and they're, and they're producing them in albums overseas. And I have no control over it. How about those, those two songs that will never hear the end of it and first of them all, what happened there? Oh, wait, hold on, let me get rid of this, please. We're speaking to Dick Dale live on a Nardwarn, a human serviette show here on CITR Radio. Dick Dale, the legend of the superpower surf guitar. Dick Dale from his Sky Ranch somewhere in California. Dick Dale right now taking another call. Last time it was Denver. Who could it be? Dick Dale from... A Thank you. Hello, Dick um, Dale. Yes. Um... I can't, I don't have any control of that, and, and I got out of the business, and you know, my earlier songs, and my, let's go tripping, when that was recorded, I, I smashed it against the wall, because I was so, dis, uh, I was disturbed, because it was not the way I sound on stage, uh, that's why I got out of the business, because all the records that I recorded, to me, are junk, they're just, they're junk, they do not sound the way I sound on stage, 
I was told how long to play. I was told how long my solo could be. I mean, how can one be creative when they tell you you only got three minutes? And that's why when High Tone Records came up to me in San Francisco and we were sold out there at Slim's, they said, Dick Dale, we know you don't want to record, but we believe in you and we're not a big money company, but we want to we want to give you the opportunity to go in and do what you want to do. Who runs High Tone? Larry Sloven. What's his background? How do I know? I don't know. There's some guy that just came up to you then. Uh, he, they, but, but the man was so... See, I'm funny. I've always been for the underdog. And I've always been for the little people. In fact, this whole album, if you have a fax machine, I'll fax to you my thoughts and every one of these songs that I wrote because I wanted them to put it on the CD, but they didn't have enough money to put it on another sleeve. But this album is strictly a... A, has to do with the, the Earth's ecological system and people's ecological system and to do with the people's feelings. And all these songs were written for certain reasons, like Trail of Tears is where the Indians were pushed off their land and, and the kids were dying and the mothers and fathers were dying in the snow on the Trail of Tears. And it's the same thing about how druggies, drug people, and their kids are watching their, their parents just uh, raise them in this world of terribleness and they don't know any other world. And so every one of these songs I wrote was, is, a, is a special story about how I feel about this earth and people and the people I visited from the Mexican people in the high desert Esperanza and how their world is being sucked in by smog, etc., etc. So all of these things, shredded heat, the burning of our jungle canopies and killing, you know, killing off people and animals, you know, fleeing from the fires and the, or the shredding of the heat. So all of this stuff is a special deal. And, uh, uh, that's basically it, you know. If you do, you have a fax machine? Yeah, we do. Uh, let me let me fax to you. And uh, oh shit, a ten o'clock Denver is calling. Hold on a second. Uh, what what is your fax number? It's area code 604 604 And then okay, I'll just go on straight on through six zero four eight two two fax. Just got a few more questions here, yeah, Dick. Go ahead. Wondering, who was Francine York? Francine York was a gal. Uh, that, that was way in the beginning of time when my dad wanted me to be. Uh, we were just starting, you know. My dad was kind of uh, watching out for me, being like a manager, and she was just a person involved in uh, uh, having to do when we did a, an army uh, recruiting. Because uh, I thought that was record. Re like, how did you end up doing? It's called the Enlistment Twist. Yeah. And it's U.S. Army 1301. You're doing a U.S. Army promo record. Now, is that telling, like, people to join the Army and go to Nam? Like, ooh, that's sort of like a weird concept, I thought. Well, the point lies is, whoever heard of Nam then, you know, when it was done. But, like, early 60s stuff was happening, though, wasn't it? Like, you know, Nam had been brewing way before that. Well, I, you know, I didn't pay attention because I was, I remember I got into the uh, Air National Guard and I was on the crash crew pulling guys out of planes when they crashed in the early, in the late 50s, in the early 60s, and that was before Nam. I thought maybe you'd like got in trouble with the law or something and they had made you do this as like a community service thing to get people to enlist into the army. I got in trouble with the law? <laughs> well, you know, like, you know, like having to pay back the community for what you've done. No, no, no. Have, have you ever gotten? Have you ever had to do anything like that or got in trouble? No, no, not really. No, no. I've always been one who I'm, I'm a straightforward. I believe in the law, and I believe the only trouble is the law is not strong enough, and uh, that's the reason why we have people killing everybody. 
the enlistment twist, though, that was really, it's really, I thought that was a real interesting thing. Dick Dale and Francine York, U.S. Army 1301, U.S. Army promo record, the enlistment twist. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing lies is, I was a kid, and they said, do this, and I did it. Um, how about the Dead Kennedys? Have you ever seen them before, Dick no, Dale? Because no. I thought your first song on your new record sounds just like them. The, well, the, the riff really sounds really cool. No, everything that I do, so that you'll know, is I don't listen to the radios, and I don't listen to music. I don't turn on anything. I live in a totally different world away from music. I don't play at home. I don't practice. When I'm through playing, I lock everything all up, and I put it in my, in my uh, van until it's time for the next concert when I do it. And when I get on stage is when I first touch my instruments. And that's when I create. I create when I play, because I don't like to play the same thing over and over again, and I can't. And that's the funny part about it, because I'm constantly creating. And by doing that, I feel, I feel it's a rip-off to the people if I was to just make a list of songs and play the same ones over and over again. So what I do is I go by what the audience does to me, and then I start taking them on a ride of sound and feelings. Do you ride an elephant on stage? No. Have you ever rode an elephant on stage? No, but I have ridden an elephant. But not, like, on stage. That day I owned, I had a baby elephant. Not on stage, no. Because I heard, like, at the beginning of concerts, you came on wailing with your guitar and well, an elephant. Yeah, no, they also said I was born in Beirut, Lebanon, also. Where were you born, Dick? Uh, they did, in the Bob Daly book. <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Did you ever get to drive that 22 Junior Dragster yes, on yes, the cover I, of Mr. I, Eliminator? Yes, I was. In fact, the Eliminator almost killed Tony Nancy going down the, going down the strip. And he named it after the, uh, the wedge. Uh, he, he, we had the wedge in Mr. Eliminator. Your hair seems to be getting pretty long now. My hair's been long since 1979. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, because you said you're using the same equipment since 1962. I was wondering if your hair had been the same way since 1962. <laughs> no, I had it. Well, they had it in different ways. When I did the movie Back to the Beach, they went and they, they proofed it all out with Stevie and I. Stevie Ray Vaughan, and, and they sprayed it and everything. You're going to realize when you're doing things, you know, and the people are paying you, they want you to do things the way they want you, they pay you to. So I do it. Oh, as gonna... long as it doesn't go against my, my, my beliefs or whatever it is. But I guess in the early years with that enlistment twist, you just were too young to know what that was about? No, well, I believe everybody should go and protect their country. Would you like to have the war in your own backyard and have your mother and father killed? Well, I guess that's up to each individual to decide. Well, that's true. I mean, but would you like to have the war in your backyard? Would you rather have the war in, overseas than have your little sister be sitting underneath planes bombing? Well, it just, it's just... See, see, my grandmother and my grandfather in Poland, I remember them crying their eyes out. And, and when, they, when the Germans marched right in while they were sleeping, because nobody protected their land. And you're not going to get your land protected unless you got guys that are willing to go. I went, and that's the way I feel. And I will die for my country and my mother and my father and my sister and my child and I, wherever I have to go. Now, granted, this, this whole damn power-monger bunch of people are, are controlling this war system and war games like a bunch of pansies and like a bunch of people who are just doing their, fixing their own back pockets, I think. I think they, they should consider taking care of their people at home. They should feed their starving children. They shouldn't start giving loans to everybody that can't get paid back. That's why we're in such debt. Are you still in the Army or associated no, no, with it? No, no, I'm not. Uh, I wasn't in the Army. I was in the Air Force. That's how I got into be a pilot. So I just, hold on one second, please. 
We're talking to Dick Dale from Los Angeles, California, Sky Ranch. An interesting pro-army guy. <laughs> is Dick going to come back and hear me say waiting. Hello, uh, Dick. You know, I, I honestly feel, you know, the thing lies is, is that every, this is what this whole album is all about. It's all about the power mongers. It's all about the people who, who have the power to, to manipulate and destroy these, take advantage of these little people. And it's all about that, those forces that I think the common people should, you know, stand up and rise up and say, hey, we've taken enough of your crap. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, arrest these people who are shooting people and killing people and get rid of them now. I mean, we can't even walk down. You know, that's why I'm up in the high desert, because we can't even go down to L.A. If you go into L.A., or even Orange County now, uh, without getting shot. You know, just standing there, and kids are being raised with this drug stuff that's going on, and the governments and everybody are all involved in it. I mean, there are policemen trying to do their job, and yet it's so politically involved, they can't do their job the way they want to, and they quit in frustration. That's why we live in Canada here. That's why I live in the high desert, and that's why I wrote this CD. You know, when, you, when I fax you these things, I feel, the way I feel about these things, it's terrible. Sure, the war in Vietnam was, was the biggest joke that ever was, well, you know, when you realize what it was. And you did that song, Enlistment Twist. But that was to, to have people join the, the military or the services so that we will have armies, you know, people will join and support their country. What if you had a country that had no, nobody to support it? But didn't guys join and then go to Nam and then participate? Now, in the no, I, th there was nothing to do with going to Nam when that song was done. That had nothing to do with that. It had to do with joining and becoming a part of your protective force of your country. But it was joining the army, and eventually it turned out that people well, might have heard that. eventually, of course. I mean, eventually we were going to have all wars. But do you think before maybe the song was done, you should have thought that perhaps, you know, world troubles may be arising? Well, you know what? If world troubles arise and nobody joined, where the hell would you be? Probably in Vancouver, B.C., Canada. No, you wouldn't. They'd be right in your backyard taking your land away from you. And we're speaking live to Dick Dale yeah. from the Dick Dale Sky Ranch, and where is it exactly? Well, we're in the, we're in Southern California, and it's a it's a, an hour above uh, uh, it's an hour above Palm Springs. And we can catch you live at the Commodore Ballroom on July twenty first, nineteen ninety three. Well, thanks for speaking to me live here on CITR Radio, Dick Dale. Anything else you'd like to add to the listeners out there well, in I Radio would just Land? Say, all I can say is. You people in Canada, and I'm, I'm really anxious to get up there, but I have heard you, uh, all about your law system and your judicial system and everything else, and you should be thankful. You should be very, very thankful that you've got a government system up there that watches out for you and that, that takes care of you. Because I, from what I understand is I heard that the laws in Canada do, do not put up with uh, wackos. In other words, for lack of a better word, they don't put up with the, they don't put up with shenanigans that go on. They just, if someone breaks the law, they get taken care of right away. Is that true? Well, hopefully we will. We'll be able to put up with Dick Dale at the Commodore Ballroom on July twenty first, nineteen ninety three. Well, great. How do you feel about your about your, your your country, your government, and everything? Do you feel that they they protect you like that? You feel that you should be protected? Well, I think there's problems that everywhere that I should mean, be consulted. I mean, are you getting the same problems that we're getting in Los Angeles? Oh yes, they're everywhere. No. Yes, they're everywhere. Those problems are everywhere in the you're, world. You're kidding. Yep, they're everywhere. You cannot run away from them. You know what? They don't have those problems in Tahiti. 
Uh, they probably do have the problems in Tahiti, no, don't I've they? Been in, I've been to Tahiti, and they don't have those problems because the people respect their law. Well, there's worldwide problems everywhere. You have, yeah. you have to sort of, you can't just ignore them. By the way, you can't ignore Dick Dale. Interesting comments there, Dick Dale. Well, that's, you know, that's the way I feel because I have a son. And it's interesting, it's all instrumental music you're doing. All well, instrumental. You know, the thing, the way I feel is I have a son who's 17 months old, and I want to see him grow. In a, in a loving land. I have flown my plane to the hills of Mexico, and you know, in the plateaus, and I've met the wonderful people who live in their little Hogan huts, and they sweep out their, 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 their little uh, uh, Hogans that they do on the ground with the dirt and everything, and when they wake up in the morning, they're smiling, and their children are smiling. They're happy. They got, nobody is stealing from them. Nobody is shooting them. Nobody is you know, taxing them to death. They, they live off the earth, and you know, that's the way I would like to see my son live. Well, maybe that's, you can add some uh, lyrics to some of your songs listen, now. the next album is going to be like that uh, with lyrics. You've given me a, a great idea, and that is to put uh, some, some vocaling in there. And I'm going to take your advice, which would be a great... Uh, uh, constructiveness. Uh, it isn't criticism. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a great it's a it's a great uh, suggestion, and I think I will do that. All right, Dick Dale. Well, keep on rocking in the free world, then. I'm going to go to Canada, and I'm going to meet everybody in Canada, and I'm going to write a song about Canada. Called? I don't know. Canada? I'll know. Uh, uh, unknown territory. Oh right. How's <laughs> that? Uh, yeah, that sounds fairly. Interesting. Well, when I think of Canada, I think of big giant trees, and I think of snow-capped mountains, and I think of just glaciers. I think of uh, wilderness, uh, uh, salmon, bear, uh, uh, streams, and I, you know, I just think of uh, a land that is uh, uh, hasn't been infected. Well, I think we have now with the germs of Dick Dale have oh, gone thanks. over. See, have, well, I mean, the Dick Dale feel has gone over to airwaves here live on CITR Radio. And thanks so much for speaking to me. And um, keep on rocking the free world, Dick Dale. See you in Vancouver, B.C. for your live debut in Canada. Are you going to be there? I'm going to be there. Well, great. Come on up and talk to me, and I'm going to bring my notebook, and I'm going to take a lot of your suggestions. All right, uh, Dick. Do do the loot do. Okay. Do 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 do. Done. Surf stop. Join the army man. Join the army man. Get in step fast to the enlistment twist. Wait. 
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, the Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada-based Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show on CITR FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You just heard right there the enlistment twist by Dick Dale and Francine York. And before that, an interview with Dick Dale. And all the best, Dick Dale. That particular interview was from July the 9th, 1993. And all the best, I say that because Dick is now touring, trying to raise money for medical bills. As I mentioned previously, he needs $3,000 a month for medicine, not including his insurance. So if he's in your town, please go out and support and see Dick Dale. Right now, going to play something that was referenced in the interview, a Dick Dale live track, a live vocal number, a rare vocal number by Dick Dale. And this is from the Live at Ciro's album from 1965. This is Dick Dale doing Blowing in the Wind. Watch the men walk down Before you can call him a man I said how many, how many times Must a white dove fly Before she sleeps in the sand I said how many, how many times must a cannonball fly Before, before ever, ever bang The answer, my friends Is blowing in the wind Well now the answer Is blowing in the wind My friends is blowing in the wind. Well, now the answer is blowing in the wind. Raga. I said, How many? sleeps in the sand oh, I said how many how many times must the cannon fall black before before ever ever been the answer my friends is blowing in the wind well now the answer 
Sunday Eve, we're going to be checking with the trash men because right at this very minute, they're ready to report. And so let's get a WDGY trash men report. The trash men are on tour in the United States, their first major tour of the United States. And on the trash men's agenda, California, the great Pacific Northwest cities, you'll hear exclusive reports from the scene on WDGY. Well, hi there. We're ready with another WDGY trash men's report. And which trash man is this? This is Tony. Well, Tony, Tony Andreessen. And where are you phoning from, Tony? Uh, Pismo Beach, California. When did you get in there? Uh, last night. Well, Tony, are you playing tonight, or are you just getting settled and getting into the area? Uh, we're going to drive to Los Angeles tonight, and we play in uh, Los Angeles tomorrow night, Sacramento Wednesday. I see. And, uh, Tony, um, where have you been playing? Well, we played in uh, Phoenix. We uh -huh. played in, uh, and before that, we played in Oklahoma City, Tulsa. Okay. I've got several questions here and several things to talk to you about. I want you to hang on to the line right after we get done with the report, Tony, mm -hmm. because I've got several things here. That I want you to be sure to phone in next week, for example, here on WDGY with more exclusive reports. And uh, a lot of the fellows and girls have been asking me to ask the trash men, as you travel across the country, do you notice whether the fellows and gals dance any differently in the areas where you've been on tour, different from what they dance here? Oh, yes. Uh, and every state varies. It's, it's mostly the same, of course, out here in California. Uh, there's a lot of dances that we haven't got yet in, in, in Minnesota. Such as what, uh, Tony? <laughs> well, the dog is real big here. And surfing, too? Surfing is, uh, it isn't as big as it used to be. The music, uh, Hot Rod, is, is in now. Uh-huh. And blues is starting to come in a little bit down here, which uh, surprised me. Yeah, so that surprises me, too. How is the bird dance beat and surfing bird doing in the areas where you've been? Bird Dance Beat is uh, the one that's taking off now. Uh-huh. Uh, Surfing Bird was here, of course, that's what they know us for, but uh, Bird Dance Beat, uh, it's uh, climbing up on the charts out here now, too. They're playing it a lot. Well, just wonderful. And I noticed that on the charts, the national charts, that the album is way up there, too. I also I haven't really, I haven't seen the charts. Oh, you haven't? Well, the album, I think, is in the top 50 sellers now in the United States, and as far as albums go, that is just tremendous. And uh, Bird Dance Beat continues to climb on all the national charts. And they put that at the, the, on the national chart, those stars in front of it, and that means it's a real red-hot record. So, Tony, you should be sure to tell the boys that they're getting hotter all the time. Oh, that sure will. Now, you're heading for where tonight, Los Angeles? Uh, Los Angeles, right. And then where do you go from there? We go to Washington. I see. You're starting to make the big circle then, huh? Right. Well, it's been a great tour for you so far, and I want you to continue to give us those re exclusive reports here on WDGY. We surely will. And, Tony, I want to thank you very, very much for being with us here on the Bill Deal Show. Thank you, Bill. Now, while you hang on for just a minute, we're going to continue with the survey because we're right in the middle of the survey report. And I might as well tell you right now, and I don't think I'm giving away a great big secret here, that your song is holding right up there. It's among the top five on WDGY, the bird dance beat. Great. Okay. Now, you hang on, and here we go with survey song number 13, guys and gals. This one by Freddie Cannon. I'm going to shake your shoulders and move your feet. We're going to rock the bird dance band. Ooh, ba, 
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there, the Trashman with Bird Dance Beat. And before that, the Trashman Report from Minneapolis, Minnesota, coming from Minneapolis, Minnesota, the radio station known as WDGY. And this was a radio phone in. The guy from the Trashman phoned in. And it was from 1964. And right now, to end the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, in honor of Dick Dale, going to play a whole bunch of live Trashman, the Trashman from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and some live Trashman from 65 to 67. And we're going to start with the Trashman doing Let's Go Trippin' by the man of the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, Dick Dale. So a whole bunch of live Trashman. We're going to play as much as we can here on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. Most likely, let's go tripping, Baja, loving up a storm, Malaguena, green onions, and surfing bird live version. So right now, here again from the album Live Bird, The Trashman, 65 to 67. Here are The Trashmen doing Let's Go Trippin' by Dick Dale on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show.
Okay, a Jerry Lewis tune right now. One that must have sold about six copies for him. A thing called Loving Up a Storm. Oh, wow. 